0: All right, very exciting. Hey, uh, I wanna start by asking you a question this morning and I want you to answer by a show of hands, okay? How, what? Oh, Dan raised his hand, okay. He's, uh, he already knows. I wanna see, put your hand up if you have ever lied or, let me finish, or otherwise been not entirely honest in receiving the question, How are you doing? Okay. (laughs) All right. No, keep them up for a second. Keep them up. You can be be honest, you can be bold. Look around for a second. Everybody's hand is up in the room. This blows my mind. How is it? Scripture calls, if you if you follow Jesus, Scripture calls you if you look at like the beginning of the book of Romans or 1 Corinthians or whatever. We are saints. Scripture calls us that if you follow Jesus. How is it that at one simple question, a room full of saints seemingly turns into a, a crowd of pathological liars? <laughs> What's going on there? I was trying to think, like, how many times have I probably done this in my, my life? 500, 1,000? 1, I don't know. I, I had the temptation faced with me this morning. Somebody asked me, how are you doing? How was your holiday? What did this and that? And you're just like, ah, oh, was good. Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we hold back from each other? I think there are lots of reasons. Sometimes it's just easier, right? Like, I, I cannot get into it right now. I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. And I don't want to tell you about it. So I'm just going to say I'm good. Sometimes... Maybe we don't think that that person is genuine in asking us that question, that they're just sort of being polite and it's the polite thing to say to say good and you sort of move on from there. Sometimes we do it because, I don't know, maybe you're trying to earn points with somebody, trying to be positive, trying to you know, keep things upbeat and you don't want to sort of drag the mood down. Whatever the reason is, it's kind of sad to me. It's kind of sad and I hope that we can be the kind of community that you would feel okay coming in, and if somebody asked you how you were doing, you could say, I'm doing awful, and I don't want to talk about it, and then go and find your seat, (laughs) because at least now we know. Like, I'm not going to ask you any questions. I want to respect your wishes there, but now I can (laughs) pray for you, and I can hope that God will lift your spirits today, if that's you. But I think what's even more sad is that we do the same thing with God. We do the same thing in our prayer lives. We hold back from God because we're not sure if he really wants to hear what's actually going on. Or we're not sure if, if, if you know, being negative will sort of make us lose points or lose our standing with God. So we just try and be positive or, or we just, you know, sometimes it's easier to just sort of say a prayer that you know and not really get into what's really going on. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about prayer. And as we get into scripture, before we do that, I want to do two things. First is to tell you what we believe about prayer here at Mount Hope. We sort of boiled it down to a sentence. And for me, it's very helpful to sort of commit it to memory. And maybe that will be helpful to you. I want to tell you what we believe. And then I want to tell you where we're at with regards to prayer as a community. So this is what we believe. At Mount Hope, we believe that prayer is powerful. So we make it our first priority and not our last resort. I'm going to read that again. I want you to say it with me, okay? Say it with me. Prayer is powerful. So we make it our first priority and not our last resort. I'm tempted to read it again with you and, and read it like we're not... I don't know, a group of zombies or something. That's like, so like the lowest energy. That's okay. I'll bring, we'll we'll build it up. We'll build it up. This is what we believe. And when we say something like that, that if you belong to this church, if you call Mount Hope home, this is a, a value that we have about prayer. When we say stuff like that, it should cause us to turn the lens inward for a second. And reflect on our own lives and say, man, we believe that it's right and good for us to have prayer as our first priority. How far up the priority list is it in my own life? Where am I at when it comes to prayer? And if you're like me, when you do that with all, any number of things, what you're going to find is there's a gap. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's big, sometimes it's small, between man, I know this is the right way to live. I know this is what I should be doing. And here's where I'm actually at. There's a space in between. And that's where we get these new year's resolutions. Like I know I should be sleeping this amount and eating these foods. And so I'm going to, I'm going to have a healthier diet. I'm going to sleep more. I'm going to, you know, exercise more. It's, we're trying to close the gap and we do that with our face. We do that. We say, I want to read the Bible more. Who wants to read the Bible more this year? There's a few people who wants to pray more this year. We see a gap in our lives. Speaking of reading the Bible, hopefully you got one of these when you came in. This is the community Bible reading plan. Hold this up in the air for a second. Hold this up in the air. 2024 community Bible reading plan. Take a look at that for a second. Look, we're not preaching about reading the Bible, but I got to tell you about this. For the last several years, Rosemary and I have been making these for the young adults. At this church this is a plan that has helped even me, I say even me this has helped me and so many other people really fall in love with reading scripture and make a habit out of it very regularly if you look at it just just so you can sort of see what's going on Monday through Friday each week we read one chapter of the Bible and we read a book we start a book and we read to the end And then we start a new book and we read to the end, Monday through Friday, that's what we do. We're gonna read long books, short books, Old Testament, New Testament. It's just to get us into the word of God and read it. And then on the weekends, that's the W, we can read a psalm. We read a psalm together, something to meditate on for that weekend. I believe that the Bible is best when it's read alongside other people. I can't tell you how many times my faith has been enriched. My, my understanding of God's word has expanded by talking about it with other people and seeing their perspective is a way that I totally didn't even see before. And so I highly, highly encourage you to participate in this. If you wanna read more of God's word, if you wanna spend more time reading the Bible, this is a perfect way to do it. And if it feels daunting to like catch up, the first two weeks are already behind us, which is kind of crazy. Start tomorrow, 15, Luke 11 start there. And, and as we go, we can have conversations. We can have times where we can say, hey man, did you read that part in Luke? God totally said this to me. What are, what are your thoughts? And we can grow in our love of scripture together. But I digress. We're not talking about that. We're talking about prayer. So we have this gap. And if you remember in October, we took a, a church health survey. Put your hand up if you participated in that survey. The, the ministry that puts that together, we, we've been meeting with them to sort of see how we handle these results and what, what they can tell us. They were very impressed with our level of participation. So everybody gets a little boop, boop, pat in the back. Uh, thank you for doing that, and thank you for being honest. I have the results of three questions that I want to share with you to see sort of a little snapshot. The, the survey was like a long, hard look in the mirror. Where are we at? Where are we at with all of these values, things that we feel like are important? How big is the gap? Is it small? Is it big? Let's, let's see. So here are the three questions. Uh, there were more about prayer, but these are the three that I want to show you. The first one was about how well we do at praying and in sort of eager anticipation that God's going to do something. Okay, so if you look at the graph, it's the orange one. It's a little small to see. The orange one is, is Belmont, and the blue one is our other congregation in Burlington. And so what you can see there is that about 80%, actually exactly 80% of us here in Belmont feel like we're doing pretty good at this. That when we pray, we've, we expect God to do something. We expect to be heard and for God's spirit to move and answer that prayer. So that's good. That's something to celebrate. We're excited about that. Second question is about what we feel like we could use the most help with. And answer C, particularly, was about cultivating a regular prayer life. 16% of us here said that's the thing we could use the most help with. And I guarantee you, as people were filling out that survey, maybe you even remember this, being split. Like, ah, man, I I know I need help with both of these. And somebody just went with the other one. And I guarantee you that... There are way more people in here that say, even if it's not the thing I need the most help with, I definitely know that I could grow in my regular prayer life uh, with God. And so now we start to see, okay, there's some space. There's, some, there's a gap w- where we can grow. And here's the last question I want to show you. This is about how prepared and equipped we feel when it comes to engaging in the different kinds of prayer. Maybe you're hearing for the first time that there are different kinds of prayer and these were interesting results i did the math up and about half of us feel comfortable and equipped to pray in all of these different ways praise confession thanksgiving listening and petitioning prayer and there's another half of us that feel like man we could really use some help with this We could really use some teaching and instruction and and tools so that we can start to close the gap and feel more comfortable engaging in all of these different aspects of prayer. And so that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time together, focused on this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into the scripture. Will you bow your head with me? Ah, Hey, Jesus. Hey, God. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to come together under your presence. God, we recognize that there is a gap in our lives. We want to make prayer our first priority and we wanna be equipped and comfortable in, in engaging in prayer in all of its various forms. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us today. Speak to us through your word. Speak to us even in our own spirits and our hearts as we unpack it together. Lord, help us to pray with, a more, with more fullness and honesty and regularity. This is our prayer before you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is where we're going to start. We're going to look at a few different scriptures today. All of them are going to be on the screen. And I will say, uh, sometimes the Bible verses look a little different, depending on what Bible you're reading. They're translated in several different versions, and that's fine. It's okay if yours is a little different than mine. Same word of God. This is what it says in James 5. We're going to start in verse 13. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And if you remember just from the survey results, one of the forms of prayer that was listed there is praise. So, if anyone are you happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Let him pray. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful Ineffective, We have seen that to be the case time and time again in this church. Amen? We have seen God answer prayers. When we hold each other up, when we bring our needs before God as a community and expect him to move, pray in faith, God shows up. And what James is saying in these verses, he's, this is a letter. James is writing a letter to Christians. He's saying, if you follow Jesus, here's how you should live. And he goes through. He says, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. As a matter of fact, bring more people around and pray all together. Are you under the, the oppression of sin and stuck in sin in your life? Pray, and you'll be forgiven. He says, God will raise you up. Are you seeing some similarities to how we believe in prayer here at Mount Hope? That prayer, James is beating this point home. Prayer is our first priority. Anything in life, any situation in life is cause for prayer. Happy, sad, overwhelmed, stressed, depressed, anxious, all of it. Prayer is the proper response. And he, he roots that. The source of that is because prayer is powerful, and effective. We don't come up with these statements. We don't come up with these beliefs just because that's how we feel or that's what we think is, you know, a good idea. Or we want to be a church that believes that this is true and we live as it is. We, we, if you were with us last week, our statement about scripture is that we change our lives to fit the Bible, not the other way around. But I think this passage raises two questions and that's what I want to spend the bulk of our time answering James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective That causes me at least to ask the question. What does it mean to be a righteous person? Are there certain people who are unrighteous and their prayers are not powerful and effective? Is there some like spectrum of righteousness that you know the cool like the holier we get the more right the more powerful our prayers are How does that work? we're going to we're going to answer that question. And the second question is what do I do? Like how, when when I come to that moment of like okay, I'm going to pray, what happens next? What do I do? What do I say? We're going to get we're going to figure that out as well. So, the first question, what does it mean to be a righteous person? You can think about righteousness. The way I like to think about it is right relationship a righteous person is in a right relationship with God and with people. It's like, what's your standing? Are you, are you sort of in the good graces or are you maybe on the outs? What's your standing with God? If you're righteous, you're in the right standing. And if, if we had time, I would love to go through the whole book of Romans. Paul in the book of Romans lays this argument out so beautiful. It's like a big, like, maybe just me because I'm like a theology nerd, but like this big painting, this huge canvas of righteousness and god's plan in the world we don't have time to do that so i'm going to read you a little snippet of what he says in romans and we'll try and fill in the gaps okay this is what it says in romans chapter three he says therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law rather through the law we become conscious of sin but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that there was a point in time where every human in creation was righteous. They were in a right standing with God. There were two of them. Their names were Adam and Eve. And they lived in this place where they just had this great relationship with God. It was intimate. It was close. And God had, had one rule. And they existed in this place of righteousness until Adam and Eve broke that one rule. We call that, does anybody know what we call that in the, in the Bible? When they break the rule, and and what happens? Sin enters the world. We call it the the fall. Paul uses the same word here in Romans. He says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What happened is, now sin is in the world. People who came from Adam and Eve, which is all of us, exist in a world with sin in it, where there's no way to earn your righteousness with God. In the garden, righteousness was earned by keeping God's laws. That's how it worked. Now, it doesn't work that way. The best person on earth falls woefully short of that standard, falls well below what God needs from us for righteousness. So if any of us are going to be declared righteous and have our prayers be powerful and effective, it needs to come from outside of us. It needs to come from somewhere else. And Paul says there's good news It came through Jesus. And it comes through faith in Jesus. He says in in these verses that there is no difference. This is an important phrase because he's talking to a people, a church of mixed people with Jewish people and non-Jewish people. We call them Gentiles. And the Jewish people feel like they have an advantage. They have like a leg up because they've been with God for like this whole time. And Paul says, there is no difference. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter how holy you live or any of that does not matter. All of us have sinned and fallen short. All of us are justified freely. We all have equal access to this righteousness that comes from outside of us. And Paul says it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. When he says faith in Jesus Christ, When you put your faith in Jesus, I think that means three things. It's not just like an intellectual assent that says, yes, I believe that Jesus was God and he died on the cross to forgive my sins. Now I'm righteous. It's not just a mental thing. The first thing is a recognition on on sort of a, a very fundamental level that we are sinners And that there is no amount of work or effort that we can put in that would elevate us to a level of righteousness. We need a savior. We need help. That's number one of putting your faith in Jesus. Once you get there, you you take another step forward and you say that when Jesus came, that was the son of God. That was God coming to the earth in flesh and he took a cross as a sacrifice for us. That Jesus died to save us. We needed a savior, and Jesus was that savior. That's step two. And the third step, and this is a step that sometimes we skip, and it's very important not to skip, because he did that. It says, scripture says that you were bought with a price. Jesus' blood that flowed out of his body on the cross was the price that purchased you from sin into life, was the price that purchased you out of death and God's wrath into the place of righteousness. That means that we do not own our lives. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are surrendered to him. You say, my life belongs to you. You bought it there. That's what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, your prayers are powerful and effective. That's what it means to be righteous. And over time, as we receive the Holy Spirit, we grow. The Holy Spirit sort of sanctifies us. But it doesn't make us more righteous. We are righteous at that moment, and our prayers are powerful and effective. But the question that comes to my mind is, what does that relationship look like? We're in, now we're, I put my faith in Jesus. Now I'm righteous. What does that mean? Like, how do, we, how do we engage with each other? How do we relate? To me, it boils down to this one statement. I think we just had it up on the screen. Jesus took our place on the cross so that we could take his place in the family. Will you say that with me? Jesus took our place on the cross so we could take his place in the family. Righteousness looks like the relationship that Jesus had with the Father. And in Romans 8, I'm telling you, Romans, this book is pure gold. In Romans 8, Paul says, the spirit that we got, the spirit that Jesus gives to us when we place our faith in him, It does two things. It gives us adoption into God's family, like it's official, the papers are signed, and it gives us a spirit by which we cry, Abba, Father. You know what the word Abba means? Abba is the first word that every baby said in the first century and before that. You you think about like a little baby. We've got a lot of little babies in our church right now then they start to just kind of find their voice and they're babbling a little bit. Nah, blah, 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 blah. Abba is is the word for dad, daddy, papa. Righteousness means that we get that place in the family. We believe that God is the creator over all things. He sits enthroned over all of the universe. Anyone... Who wants to see him? Needs an appointment, except for the sons and daughters. You can go right in. Dad, I need help. I'm just happy to see you. I just wanted to hug. It's the children who get that level of relationship, that personal closeness, and by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Some of you, that's a, that's a, a big shift to make in your prayers. We're very used to being very reverent towards God. And there's, there's a sense in which reverence and awe is good because God is awesome and holy, but he invites us like little kids. Come, tell me what's really going on. Don't, you don't have to put fancy spin on it. You don't have to say special words. Just tell me what's in your heart. That's what we're invited to do. And so that brings us to our second question of, once we're righteous, how do we pray? How do we do that? How do I access the power and effectiveness of prayer? If Jesus took our spot on the cross so we could take our, his place in the family, then we should take a look at how he prayed and take some clues as to how we should pray. And I want to go to one prayer in particular in Matthew, towards the end of Jesus' life. This is in Matthew 26, if you want to turn there. Matthew 26, starting in verse 38. This is what we read. It says, Then he, which is Jesus, said to them, which is Jesus' best friends, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and said, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. This is a very honest prayer. No, no facade, no, like, no room for special religious talk. When, when someone asked Jesus in that moment, how are you doing? He did not say good. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Will you stay and pray with me? And then he goes to God and he falls on his face. He says, my father. He says, dad, I don't want to do this. He knows what's coming. He says, I don't want to do this, but I, but I trust you. You know what's best. I don't want to do this, but you know what's best. I call these, I call these things Abba prayers. When, when we, we have nothing else to do but then to just go to God as our Abba, as our dad, and just let it all out. What Jesus teaches us is that Abba prayers are honest about two things. What is going on and who God is. Abba prayers are honest about what is going on and about who God is. Jesus says, I don't want to do this. And he is very honest about what's in his heart. And we find out from scripture that Jesus lived his life with no sin. So it cannot be wrong to go to God and tell him what is on your heart. And if you go through this plan, and we go to these weekend psalms, what you're going to find in the book of Psalms is that there were people throughout history who were very honest with God about what was going on in their heart. Okay, you could go to Psalm 44 where the the person who's praying this prayer accuses God of being asleep at the job. He's saying, wake up. Like, when are you going to figure out that all this is going on? I need you. How long are you going to forget me? In Psalm 88, this is the, the probably the saddest chapter in the whole Bible. Psalm 88, the writer just, all he can do is say, darkness is my closest friend. I have no hope, God. If you were to go to Psalm 60, uh, 68, you would see a very different emotion. This writer in that Psalm is is Angry. And he says, God, I want you to crush the skulls of my enemies. Just letting it out. And it doesn't mean that those impulses are right. Like it doesn't mean, like the point of the Psalms is not to say that God does crush the skulls of our enemies. The point of the Psalms is that you can be honest. And that's easy to do when things are good. It's easy to go with God and say, man, I'm just so happy. It's a beautiful day. You know, life is good, and I just want to praise you. Thank you, God, for all my blessings. It's easy to do that. It's a lot harder to be really honest when things are bad. That's exactly what we need to do. James says, are you in trouble? Pray. But we can't just be honest about what's going on in our lives. That, that is half of the formula for prayer. The other half is being honest about who God is. And Jesus does that in these verses in Matthew. He says, you know what's best. Not my will, but yours be done. I'm surrendered to you. I trust your plan. And sometimes when even, even in the midst of all of the stuff going on in our lives, we need to just stop and say, you made me. You are in control and I'm gonna put my trust in you. We need to to be honest about who God is. There's an awesome quote that I actually, Rosemary and I actually read together this week from uh, Martin Luther about prayer. And I think this can be helpful for us when we think about being honest about who God is. This is what Martin Luther says. He says, the one who prays correctly never doubts that his prayer will be answered. Even if the very thing For which one prays is not given. For we are to lay our need before God in prayer, but not prescribe to God a measure, manner, time, or place. We must leave that to God. For he may wish to give it to us in another, perhaps better way than we think best. For God will surely do what is right. What Luther is saying there is, is that we, our, our sort of, our part of the prayer is to bring the request and to, to, to trust. And God's part of the prayer is to answer in the way that he knows is best. Sometimes the, the way that he knows is best is not the thing that we're asking for. That doesn't mean we shouldn't ask for it, but it's, it's a trust to know that God will answer in the way that he knows is best. And that's what Jesus is doing in this prayer in the garden. And so when you think about praying in Abba prayer, this is what I want you to think of. I want you to use whatever words are natural to tell God honestly what is going on and how you feel. And I want you to use whatever words are natural to tell God who he is and put your trust in him. And this is where scripture is so helpful. Helpful. It's hard to know who God is if you've not been spending time here. It's hard to know who God is if you're not in his word. And so if you're, if you're sort of racking your brain for who God is, I'm gonna give you one verse that you can maybe hold on to. It's in Romans. This book just doesn't stop. In Romans 8, 28, Paul says this, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. No matter how you feel, you can put your trust in a God that will work good things for you out of whatever situation is going on because you have put your faith in him. And if you, like, remember, these are prayers of righteous people. I want to say this again. If you've made that process, if you've gone through that step one of knowing you're a sinner, step two of recognizing Jesus as your savior, and step three of surrendering your life to him, now you're in a place of righteousness, you've already made the step of trusting God with your eternal destiny. You can trust him with the prayers of this earthly life. You can trust him with the concerns and worries and feelings that are going on right now. You've already made the bigger step of faith. So even when you're concerned and you're saying, God, I don't know if you're going to come through, but I've trusted you with my eternity, so I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to close with a little, uh, just an exercise, an opportunity for all of us to pray an Abba prayer. And maybe this will be a helpful tool for you this year to grow in cultivating a regular prayer life to close the gap so that prayer can run up your list of priorities. If you got an index card when you came in, I want you to pull that out. And if you didn't get one, you can just put your hand up. We'll make sure we get one to you really quick. Pull that out, grab a pen. We're gonna write down an Abba prayer together. On the first side of that card, I want you to write how you're doing. How you're doing? And don't say good unless it's true. Be honest. Let it all out before God. Use whatever words are natural to tell God how you're doing. If you run out of room, just flip it over. Keep going. And then on the other side, when you've done that, I want you to write down... What's true about God? What's true about God? And maybe it's it's literally just as simple as what Jesus says, that you know what's best. I'm gonna invite the worship team to just play sort of instrumentally for a minute. Give us some time to do that. And then we're we're gonna join in worshiping that God together. Let me pray as we close. Abba, I thank you for not putting barriers in our way to get to you. That the moment we turn our hearts to you, we find that you have already been intently looking at us, intently anticipating what we'll say. Abba, I pray over this year that you would help us to grow in in our prayer lives that you would help us to close the gap to pray more honestly and fully in every circumstance in life. Lord, for those of us who have not yet put our faith in you, God, would you be gracious to us to walk through those steps, to recognize how, how empty our own efforts are and how much you have come and suffered for our sake and to, to actually find the freedom that comes with surrendering to you and experience the fullness of life that comes with righteousness Uh, with with powerful and effective prayers. God, even in this moment, I recognize feelings in the room as we as a community mourn the loss of Joe and Carmelina's grandmother, Luisa's mom, and even as they are there in Italy this morning. God, I pray for that whole family. God, I imagine that there are people there that whose souls feel overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Lord, as a community, would we surround them with prayer? Would we keep watch with them and lift them up expecting that you will come? Holy Spirit, you are known as the comforter. And I pray that your comfort would flow to them and to that whole family, that they would find a way to put their trust in you in what feels just like a uh, so confusing, it feels like a situation that's all wrong where we find a way to put our trust in you. And Lord, for any other feelings, God, I pray that we might find the freedom that comes with being adopted into the family of God to just bring those things before you and not feel weird about how it sounds and not feel weird about what words we're using, but to just say, God, this is it, this is all I got. And for you to show up and be faithful in, in engaging with us and answering those prayers in the way that you know is best. We give you this time, we pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's take a minute to fill out those cards, and then we'll sing a song of worship together.